Welcome everybody to the Troy First Assembly of God podcast. We created this podcast to share our weekly messages from the Word of God, and we're so glad that you're here. We are in this fun series. I don't know, I hope y'all are enjoying this series as much as I am. I am loving this tentacle series about loving the people who just suck the life out of you. And so we're having a great time with it. We opened with two global messages. Sunday a week ago, we started the series with that really cool message about boulders and backpacks. If you missed it, it's on our podcast, which is the easiest way. Any place you get a podcast, go there uh, and, and just listen to it on podcast. The Wednesday and the Sunday messages are now on podcast. So all this word of God is out there for you. Or you can go to our Facebook. Then last Wednesday, we looked at how Jesus dealt in a global sense with difficult people and loving them well. And so tonight, we're actually going to start dealing with some specifics. We've done the two global kind of big overarching messages. Tonight, we're going to go and start with a type of person that pretty much all of us have encountered from time to time. Somebody that is controlling. As we begin, I want to remind us of two things. First, this series is about loving people well. Because as God loves us, we are called to love people. This is not about treating people badly or distancing people or, or pushing people away. This is about loving people. But it's by loving people like Jesus did. So, and then the second thing we always ask ourselves is just what the disciples asked at the Last Supper. Is it me? As we look at these different types of difficult people, I really want in the back of all of our head to be, God, am I this person in somebody's life? Am I this kind of a, tonight, let's, we're going to be looking at people who have a tendency to want to control. And before we get this holier-than-thou attitude of, i got to deal with those people, I want us to always think, God, am I those people? Am I this person in somebody else's life? And if I am, Holy Spirit, turn a spotlight in my own heart. And just as painful as it may be, show me. And I promise you, Lord, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll, I'll, I'll give attention to it. So, here we go. How many of you know somebody who can be a control freak? Anybody know somebody like that? If you're sitting there and didn't raise your hand because the person next to you would be mad at you if you raised your hand, you, raised your hand, you might know a control freak. You know what I'm saying? Unfortunately, some of you have been hurt by people who've tried to control you. Maybe it's somebody who's an authority figure in your life who was abusive and hurt you. A lot of times these people are trying to control us. They're not malicious. They're not bad people. Sometimes they themselves are just needy or insecure. And guys, as much as I hate it, a lot of times the controlling people in our lives are people who love us dearly, who honestly are convinced they just know best. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. In fact, please don't raise your hand. But have any of y'all ever dealt with a benevolent dictator? A sweet, nice person who just knows what's best and you should listen. Now, my old pastor was funny because he, he always characterized things. He was, he was not the most educated guy, but he was one of the most insightful guys I've ever come up on. When he talked about 
dealing with controlling people. He, he always characterized them in a way that I thought was funny. He said, you know, there are people who just, with the best heart, they just think they know best. Even to the point of, here, let me help you out. Let me adjust your underwear. I know how you like it. <laughs> no, I don't need help. You know what I'm saying? There are people who just try to be, don't raise your hand, but have any of you ever had one of these helpful people who just is like, okay, you need to back off just a bit, right? Sweetheart, I, I love you and I appreciate the thought, but oh, some of these folks that are controlling can be emotional black holes. You pour into them and no matter how much you give, they want more. They give them an inch, they crave more. Give them an inch, it just encourages them to be more controlling. And if they don't get what they want, they'll pout. Sometimes they'll stop. Sometimes they'll whine. Sometimes they'll complain. Sometimes they give you the silent treatment. Sometimes they walk away. But all the time, you feel like you're walking around on eggshells. And guys, if we don't deal with the controlling people in our lives, it brings on a form of relational fatigue. And I'm not going to add, again, this is not a raise your hand kind of message. And I hope it's not an amen message because I don't want you, if somebody's sitting here, I don't want you to offend anybody. But there are, some of you sitting here listening understand what there is such a thing as relational fatigue when you're just trying not to set them off. And you live with it. And you, it just it starts to be like, Oh my goodness, I just can't do this for the long haul. So, how do we love people who are attempting to control us? Well, first thing I want us to look at is the weapons of controllers. This is their arm. This is, this is what's in their armament. What weapons do controllers have? How do they try to take control? There are two weapons that controllers have. You probably have already figured it out. Controllers use threats. And they use guilt. They use threats. And they use guilt. What does that look like? Well, a threat can be spoken. If you do this. Or it can be implied. Have any of you ever had somebody tell you, go ahead. But you know they don't mean go ahead. They, you know that if you have a head, you don't. Mm-mm. You will make yourself happy. Go on, just go on then. It's kind of like women do this more than men just because men are not sophisticated enough to go for double and triple entendres. I mean, men, we just don't think that deep. Men just aren't that deep. We just can't. But you ever had a woman say, well, do what you want? If you're a man and you've ever had a woman say, just do what you want, Hear your pastor who loves you tell you, don't do what you want. <laughs> don't take that. <laughs> no, spoken or implied threats. The message is the same. You better do it or you're going to regret it. You better perform or in some way you will be punished. In other words, if you don't do what I want you to do, you're going to pay for it. And they use threats. It might be a boyfriend who says, I'm going to break up with you. If you don't do what I want you to do sexually, it might be your boss who terrifies you and makes you feel like you're always on the edge of getting fired or demoted. Always on the edge. It might be a spouse who threatens to leave. Whatever it is, 
One of the manipulators or controllers' greatest weapons is threats. They also use guilt. After all I've done for you, after everything I've given in this relationship, you're going to treat me like this. You, has anybody ever had somebody say to you, you call yourself a Christian? Oh, guilt inducement. Well, what kind of Christian are you anyway? A family member who says, you never call. You must be too busy for me. You don't. Have you ever had somebody tell you, you don't love me? You don't love me. Guilt inducement. I could be dead two weeks and rotten in my house and nobody would even know I was dead. Threats and guilt. Threats and guilt. Look what the Bible says. The fear of man brings a snare. But one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Guys, that's the truth. The fear of man, the fear of threats or guilt or retribution from people brings a snare. I love the way the New Living Translation translates this. Look what the New Living says. Fearing people is a trap. It's a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. Responding to threats and guilt is a trap. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, who intentionally or unintentionally, how do we deal with people who are trying, or maybe they don't even know they're trying, to control or manipulate us? Well, let's look at a story in Matthew, and let's see how Jesus did with somebody he loved. It'd be easier to preach this message with how did Jesus do it with a Pharisee. But it's, it's a little more of a trick to do this with how did Jesus do it with somebody in his inner circle. Somebody he had invested in. Somebody he's got relationship with. Somebody he loves. So let's pick one from somebody he loves. Here's the context. From that time, Jesus started pointing out to his disciples that it was necessary for him, Jesus, to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes. And he told them before they ever went to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be raised up the third day. They didn't remember it until after the, the resurrection. But they did. He told them, i got to go to Jerusalem. The scriptures say, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders. Chief priests, the scribes, and I'm going to be killed. So look at what happens. He's telling them what he has to do. And get this, guys. He's telling them God's will for his life. Amen? He's telling them the truth. And let's go on in. I love the way the Bible is a very real book. Because any of you that ever dealt with a controller, you realize controllers like to isolate. Controllers like to pull you off by yourself. That's the next sermon point if we got a slide for it. Controllers, there you go. Controllers <laughs> like to isolate. Look at what the scripture says. Look at that first line. Peter takes Jesus aside. You ever had anybody take, take you aside? Before they start with the threats or guilt, before the implied, you're going to pay for this, you know, they don't do it in front of people. No, 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 that gets you off to the side. Why do controllers take you off to the side? Because the reasonableness 
of a group of people looking on. Controllers don't want that. They want the isolation of my relationship with you. Guilt works much better one-on-one. Because if I was to tell Adam, all this time I've been such a good pastor, and you're going to treat me like this? Well, if I said that in front of Amanda, Amanda very likely would say, oh, dude, get off that. Come on, be real. But see, if I'm just by myself with Adam, so I can pour it on. See, control it. Again, I'm so want to just keep asking you. Any of y'all ever have somebody do this to you? And you're like, <laughs> but it's not a raise your hand message. But guys, control. Peter took Jesus aside. And look what he does. He begins to rebuke Jesus. And says, not on my watch. God forbid. Lord, I'm not going to let this happen. Well, hold up now a second. Jesus just told him what? God's will for Jesus' life. He just told him the purpose for him coming. And Simon Peter doesn't say, are you sure about this? Uh Uh-uh. It's a control effort here, guys. He takes Jesus off to the side and he says, this ain't happening. We're not going here. You got to quit talking like this. And of all the things in the world, can you imagine rebuking Jesus? You know what this tells me? A controller has all the gall in the world. If a controller would rebuke Jesus, guys, I I hate to say it, but some of y'all got kids that will rebuke you. Respect notwithstanding. Because the spirit of control just jumps those boundaries. Peter takes Jesus aside. So they want to isolate. Never, Lord. This ain't going to happen to you. And they controllers talk in absolute terms. He doesn't say, I don't think this will happen. He goes straight for the absolute. Nope, we won't allow this. One of my favorite board stories I ever heard in my life about a church board. I knew a church where the board was a number of older folks and a number of younger folks. And the church was moving ahead. It was growing. It was transitioning. It was doing really well. And one of the older people, an issue came up in the board meeting. And one of the older people slammed his fist on the table. This actually happened in the church meeting. Uh, Nobody you know. Slammed his fist on the table and said, that's never going to happen at this church. Not while I'm drawing breath. And all the guys in the board meeting, ladies too, just kind of opened their eyes. And one of the younger board members right across from him said, Well, brother, I understand you're passionate about this, but let me explain to you how this board thing works. You're voting no, and I'm voting yes. So the truth of it is, there's five other people in this room going to make this decision because you and I are canceling each other out. It's five other people, and they're going to make this decision because you and I are not in this anymore. With your hard no and my hard yes, just canceled each other out. Guys, controllers love absolute. No, it will never happen. And, and you know what? They, they feel like because I'm pushing so hard, somebody will say, well, I guess that's the way it is. That board member was not a bad person. 
He just was not on my watch. And so that absolute, don't let the absolute kowtow you is what I'm saying. Let's look onward in Jesus. What's Jesus' response to all this? Simon Peter pulls him aside. Says, nope, that ain't happening. Jesus turns and says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. I do not recommend doing this with your mother-in-law. <laughs> as much fun as it would be to call your mother-in-law devil, I don't recommend get thee behind me, Satan. But look at what, what Jesus does. Jesus does not attack Simon Peter. He attacks the spirit of the thing. Get it, guys. Your, Jesus' enemy here was not Peter. Peter was acting out of love. It's an important point. His enemy was not Peter. The enemy in, this, in the equation is the spirit of the thing. And Jesus addresses the spirit of the thing. Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. Why? You are not setting your mind on God's purpose. You're setting your mind on man's purpose. Amen. There's the problem there. You're not setting your mind on what God says, what God wants. And then Jesus says to the disciples, look guys, if any of y'all are going to come after me, it ain't just me that's got to die. It's all of you. It's all of us. you got to pick up your own cross. Deny yourself. Pick up your own cross and follow me. Jesus said dying is not just something i got to do. Dying is something you've got to do. To your own desires, your own flesh, your own self. That's Jesus' response. It's really a cool one. So let's pull three things out of this story that can help us if we understand how to deal with a controller. First, you must know your own calling. Jesus' first response is, you're not thinking about God's will. So guys, if somebody attempts to control you, you've got to know, where do you dig your heels in? You dig your heels in at God's will for you. You don't have to dig your heels in against a person. You just say, hey, you know what my old Mississippi pastor always used to say? It took me too long to find the will of God. I ain't walking away from it now. It just took me too long to find His will. I'm not going to, regardless of your opinions and what you're trying to do, I'm not, this is my calling, this is my lane, this is where I'm supposed to be. Guys, when you know your call, when you know, this works for us on two levels, and we're going to talk about both of them. First, what has God said to me? What's my purpose? What has God told me I need to be giving my time and my energy to? Jesus answered strongly. Because what Simon Peter was telling him to do was opposite of what God had already told him his purpose was. If you know your call, then you understand when somebody is trying to put a roadblock in front of that call. And you can just say, I love you as a person, but that's not what I'm called to do. Now, if you, any of you want an example about this kind of, of dealing with this kind of control, become a pastor. Because believe me, in my line of work, you got all kind of opinions as to what the pastor's job is and you ought to do this. And guys, you won't survive as a pastor unless you understand what's God called me to do. Because I can't do everything. No man can. And so I've got to have a handle 
on what's my calling. Jesus didn't attack Simon Peter. He stuck to his guns. He stuck to his purpose. He stuck to, this is what I'm called to do. And watch right here, all kind of people would, well, you know, man, what you ought to be doing with those boys is this. You need to do this. And you ought to raise them this way. You ought to do that. that. And guys, let's be honest about this. Regardless of your opinions, God gave those boys to Amanda. Amen? He could have given them to you and He didn't. And Amanda's going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, she's the one called to raise them. Not me. And the truth of it is, if I want to be helpful, I can help Amanda. But me judging or trying to control Amanda is not help. Her call is to do everything she can to connect those boys to Jesus and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But see, if Amanda doesn't grab a hold of, this is my call, then she can be swayed by every wind of anybody's trouble. My pastor always used to say, just because somebody has enough gall to say something, doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because somebody got the guts to say, well, I think you ought to do that. I appreciate that. Now, I don't have my pastor's chutzpah. My pastor was one of the funniest people, and I loved him. He actually, he kept a lead ball on his desk because he would, he'd ask somebody from time to time. He'd say, you know, the church really needs this and, and, and it'd be good if you did. And they'd be like, well, Pastor, I don't know. And he'd tell them, here, rub that ball. And so they'd rub that ball. He'd say, now, see, don't you feel lead? I felt lead. That ball's lead and you just, you just felt lead. My pastor was so bold. Somebody would say, well, pastor, I think you ought to do this. And my pa- I never have the, God, the guts to say this, but I want to at times. My pastor would say, you know what? When you pastor a church, you ought to do it that way. You pastor your church. When you get that church and God sets you in, you really ought to do it that way. I had my pastor tell me that. Because as a staff member, I had great ideas. And I'd tell him when I thought he was doing something wrong. Anybody been young? I've been young and stupid. And guys, there are times I have tried to control my pastor. And you know what? My pastor in love put his hand square in the middle of my chest emotionally. Put his hand square in the middle of my chest and backed me off. And it was a good thing for both of us. Amen? Amen. It's a good thing for both of us. Next, you need to know your own calling, what you're supposed to do. But you also need to know what the Scripture says you're not supposed to do. Get this. This is a, this is a big point here in this point. Know your call. Know your, but also know your lane. Know your responsibilities. Know what God has set for you to do that's yours to do and nobody else's. Let me give you an example. When three and a half years before my mom died, before my mom went home to be with the Lord, she fell and broke her hip. And was forced to come and live with us for the last three and a half years of her life. Before that time, I would have told you, it's not a good time. We got a daughter home. I'm just, I mean, that I was just taking the church. My mother moved in with us like two months before I became the pastor of this church. My first senior pastor. And I would have told you, I got to have my focus here. 
but it's my mom. And you know what? My responsibility. And so, look what the scripture says. Honor widows who actually are widows. Get this. Honor widows who are actually widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to show proper respect for their own family and give back compensation to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Now, guys, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying this because I'm proud. I'm saying this because this is right in my estimation. Rebecca and I talked about this many, many times. There were times my mother needed somebody to sit with her. There were times my mother needed or wanted to be taken somewhere. And we, we honest to goodness, did not have time, could not physically do it. But not once did we call church ladies to help us. And church ladies would have helped us. You know what we did? We hired the lady who took care of Daryl Alley's wife, Laura. We hired the lady who was her caregiver. And for the few times that we needed somebody to come and sit with mom. Or somebody to come and take mom to... We never let somebody else take her to a doctor's appointment. We always did that ourselves. But there were times my mom just, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I, Mama, it's, it's a day I can't. I can't. I want to go. Yes, ma'am. We picked up the phone and we paid somebody. Now hear me say this, guys. Would the church have helped because I'm the pastor? Yes. But the Bible says... That would be, in my estimations, that would be an abuse of the position that I have been given to use that. And I'm telling you, I know a lot of pastors who ride the wave of freebies. And I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. Because the Bible says the care of my aging parent falls to me. Amen? It does. And I, was it convenient? Would I rather? Cherie would have done it. Bonnie would have done it. Y'all knew and loved my mama. I know that all kind of women in this place would have helped at the drop of a hat and refused any money for it. But you know who couldn't live with it? Me. I couldn't do it. And so, the times it had to be done, we took it and we paid Rhonda whatever Rhonda paid, whatever Daryl was paying Rhonda to take care of Laura. That's what we paid Rhonda to take care of my mom the times it had to happen. And it was great. It was fine. And it was... But we kept those things separate. Why? Because the Bible says, this is my lane. And so one of the ways you guard against the spirit of control is know what your calling is. Know what you're supposed to do. And then know what is yours to do. Know what, what falls to you. And if it doesn't fall to you, it's my choice to do. It's my choice to do. Now, all of that to say, know your calling, prioritize it. The problem is, many of us are people pleasers. In fact, there are a number of us sitting in this room that we battle with people pleasing. Here, if, if, you're, if you're a people pleaser in the place, raise your hand. How many of y'all people please? It's just you, know, you, you like, I just love making people happy. How many of y'all raised your hand because I asked you to raise your hand? You're a people pleaser. I'm just saying. 
Many of us battle with this, and we have to understand people pleasing in and of itself is a form of idolatry. We are putting people's opinions of us ahead of God's calling for us. And if you do that, you are spending your mental energy, your mental time on the wrong thing, and it takes you away from your calling. What does calling do? It clarifies. It brings all these things into focus. I gotta be about what what did Jesus tell his parents when he was 12 years old? Gotta be about my father's business. I'd love to help you. But I got to be doing what I got to be doing. That's what calling will do for you. It clarifies. Next, you need to recognize when somebody's trying to control you. Recognize when somebody's trying to control you. Recognize and acknowledge when somebody is trying to push you into doing something they want. Maybe away from what God wants. That's what goes going on in this story. At its simplest level, Jesus says, this is what God's calling me to do. I'm going to lay down my life and God's going to raise me up. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Never, ever, ever, Lord. Peter's not a bad guy. He didn't hate Jesus. And it was not his plan to distract Jesus from God's will no, not at all. He's a good guy. And in fact, this whole interchange happens right after Simon Peter knocks it out of the park with, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, he gets it so right. People, Peter's not an evil man. Many of the people that are trying to manipulate you, they're not bad people. It's not bad. I mean, it would be easier if they were bad. You could just distance them. But the thing is, he was putting his plan ahead of God's desires. And that's why we got to acknowledge when somebody's trying to exert their will to take us away from something that God says is what you're supposed to do. Why did Peter try to control Jesus? Because he didn't understand the plan. That's, that was what was going on here. In that moment, he didn't understand God's bigger plan. So it may be a good person, a person that loves us, a person we love. But we need to recognize when intentionally or unintentionally they threaten us, they try to guilt us into doing something, or they're trying to pull us away from our friends or manipulate us to rescue them again. Any of y'all ever dealt with that controller? It's time for you to rescue me again. I always used to kid around with my daughter. Now y'all know my daughter's adopted. And y'all know I'm a guy. Right? You, you know both those facts about me. I am a man and I have an adopted daughter. But there are many, many times. I still do it to this day. If I ask Amber, would you do this, baby? And she, and she, if Amber ever says, Daddy, I just don't have time this week. I'd love to help you out. and I just don't have time. I always start with, and I carried you for nine months. <laughs> <laughs> Amber's up. You didn't carry me at all. You didn't. I mean, she didn't even come to live with us until she was nine years old. But I still, I pull out and I carried you. I, I wrecked my body for years. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, the truth of it is, you've got to know your lane. What your purpose is in the season of life you're in. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And then, in love, once you recognize somebody's trying to control you, in love, draw a line in the sand. Watch right here. The most useful word in situations like this is love you. I would love to help. I would love to give you what you're asking for. But in this case, I'm going to have to say no 
And no doesn't mean I don't love you. No doesn't mean I don't care. No doesn't mean anything but no, not this time. Guys, we, we cannot, and we can't allow people to invest no with too much emotional energy. No doesn't mean I don't care for you. No doesn't mean I don't care that you're in a tight spot. But there are some tight spots that if I were to rescue you out of the tight spot, I would take away from you an opportunity that God's trying to build your faith because He wants to rescue you out of the tight spot. And the Almighty knows it needs to get just a little bit tighter so you cry out to Him and see Him move on your behalf. And all I would do by rescuing you is getting in the Almighty's way. So no is a great word. Jesus just said, Simon Peter, uh-uh. No, sir, we ain't going there. This is where it gets a little more difficult, but it is the loving thing to do. we got to know when it's time to draw a line in the sand. It's exactly what Jesus does to Peter. Jesus said, this is what I'm supposed to do. Peter says, no, 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 no. And Simon Peter says, get behind me, Satan. Not suggesting you use that line. But the truth of it is, if we give in and allow that kind of control, you elevate a person over what you feel like God's called you to do. And we're never supposed to delegate control of ourselves to anyone but the Holy Spirit. Get that point. That's probably the biggest point in this message. You are to never delegate control of yourself to anyone but the Holy Spirit of God. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't care how much you love your wife or your husband or your child or your boss. I, you are never to give another person that much control over you. You just don't do it. Because self-control is a, something that the Holy Spirit does on the inside of you. So if somebody has the ability to make you do it against your better judgment, they got too much control. They have too much control. You've elevated a person to a place in your life God never intended. But pastor, what if it's somebody you really love and cares care about? And they love and care about you. But in their dysfunction, they're distracting you from serving your higher calling, your higher purpose. Because you idolize what they think and you... You've lessened and walked away from what God thinks. That's why it's incredibly important what Jesus tells Peter. You are setting your mind on God's... You're not setting your mind on God's purposes. You're setting your mind on what you want. There's a word for giving in to that sort of thing. It's called codependent. So what do we do? What do we do when we recognize we got an unhealthy dance going on here with a person? If somebody's threatening us or somebody's trying to make us feel guilty and we give in, perhaps we're not doing what we ought to do. Let me give you a couple of thoughts and hopefully for somebody this is going to be free and let's take it apart. Every relationship you have in your life is made up of two components. What you create and what you allow. Every relationship in your life is made up of these two in some kind of balance. Maybe it's out of balance. But every relationship is made up of, A, the things you create. Well, what do you create? Well, you know what? Rebecca and I have a dog. We love our dog. We both love the dog. So we have a home 
that includes a dog. Now, if we have people over, we put the dog up because I don't like dogs that jump on people. And so many of you have been to men's group at my house. You've never seen my dog. That's by design. We don't let the dog jump on people. But we love our dog. And we, our life includes dog. So we create an atmosphere. And our dog now needs, he's got something on his neck. and got to have a bit of surgery. And we, so you know what? We're paying the money to get the dog to the vet. We pay to have a dog. That's, that's part of our life. It's part of what we create. Now, the difference between what you create and what you allow is in every relationship, there's stuff that you just like, oh, I just wish you wouldn't do that. I just wish you wouldn't do that. But how many of y'all know you live with another person long enough, you recognize there's some things ain't going to change. And so you allow. And there's a dance here between what you create, what you try to make happen, and then what you allow to happen. And it's okay. It's worth it. I, it's okay. I, I'm not... I mean, Rebecca and I dance around all the time about can you not turn off a light when you leave a room? I just, oh my gosh, I just can't tell you. There's something about the dad gene in me that just comes out and it's like, could you just turn it out? You're walking right by the switch. Hit it. Well, I'm coming right back. Turn it back on. I don't understand it. She and I, we, but we just have gotten to, okay, it's not worth a fight. It's not worth a fight, so we don't fight about it anymore. It is a combination of what we allow and what we expect. But guys, you got to know when to draw a line in the sand and clearly, definitively say, that's not appropriate. I'm not letting you in your desire. Jesus told Peter, you know what? You're crossing a line here, and I can't let you do that. He didn't get done with Peter. He didn't alienate Peter. He didn't not love Peter. He just said, okay, you've walked over the line. We're not going there. So if you don't like what you have, you change what you expect and what you accept. And guys, the easiest way to explain this is you all have done it if you have a two-year-old. You have a two-year-old pitch a fit? I mean, my favorite child pitching a fit in a store happened to me. I was traveling to Mississippi to play a symphony gig, and I just had the best time. I just I patted that mother on the back because this mother had a four-year-old who was sitting there with a big sucker, one of these big blow pops, and he was, I mean, he was pitching a fit. Mama, mama, I need a blow pop. Mama, I need a blow pop. And this sweet lady, I just loved her. She just walked up to me. She said, you need to quiet down now. You need to quiet down. He wasn't going, I need a blow pop. She just said, took the blow pop, put it back on the shelf and said, what you need is a job and buy your own blow pop. <laughs> I like, I, there were five people in line. We all clapped. <laughs> Mother of the year. But guys. You change what you expect, you change what you will accept. And you just say, we ain't going there. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I'm not going to ever help you again. It, uh -uh. And this right here, this pitching a fit, whether the fit is threats or guilt or you don't love me, or that, no, that ain't going to work either. 
We just ain't going there. Now, when I first went to work at St. Charles, there was a, a lady on staff. She's still there, by the way, Sarah Clark, who is one of my dearest friends in the world. But y'all that know me personally know I am a hard kidder. I'm a really hard kidder. And I, I just, I'll say most anything comes into my head. And, and I was just kidding around one day and hurt her feelings. Didn't mean to, but it, it stung her. And I'll never forget it. It was within the first year of me working there. She walked into my office and she said, can we talk a second? I said, of course, sure. Have a seat. She sat down and she said, I know your heart, but when you said that, it really hurt my feelings. And I want to have a good relationship with you, but I can't do, go there. And you know what I did? I said, fair enough. I apologize. I'm very sorry. And I will never kid with you like that again. Now, does it mean I never kid like that again? No. But it also means I've never done that with her again that way. And you know what I walked out of that meeting with? Respect for her. I respected the fact that she didn't just cut me off. She didn't just do, we're ending the relationship. She didn't do that. She dealt with it like an adult. And she said, okay, you know what? This is where my line is. And I, I need you not to step over that line. If you want to have, and she did. She was straight up. I want to have a friendship with you, but I can't do that. And I was like, got it. Good. How many of you wish that difficult people in your life would just be that up front? Just, just tell me and let's move forward. And right now, if I needed anything in the world, I could call Sarah and she would jump to it because she's one of my dearest friends in the world. But she very early on. Guys, you just got to draw your lines. For Rebecca and I, we don't allow the word divorce to ever be spoken in our house. And if you want to see my wife come out of the chute, say something to her like, well, if he did me like that, I'd leave him. My wife will come out of the chute at you and just, don't you curse my marriage. Don't you say anything like that. We do not even talk about it. Yes, ma'am. You'll have my wife's finger in your face. Because that's what we expect. That's what we will accept in my own life. Now, hear me say this. I kid with some people harder than I kid with Sarah. So when she drew that line, it meant that I was never going to be as kidding, funny, that I was never going to be that with her. But that's okay too. Because if that's not the relationship you want, that it's okay. It's okay. But you decide what you expect out of people and what you will put up with, what you will accept. And you just, in love, in love, there's the kicker. That's the hard part of it is. is now, when you start drawing these lines, hear, hear me say this now. When you do it, what's going to happen? I'm going to just tell you right here at the end of this message, just the last paragraph. Most controllers are going to get upset. They, gonna, they might try to double down on some of their dysfunctional behavior. You're going to draw a line in the sand and say, that's not acceptable, we're not going there. And a lot of times, they get angry or they get hurt. And the reason is, is because you're redefining the dance. We're not, we're not going to dance this way. 
What you have to do is reassure them of your love, but just the, the way it's going to walk out will look different. And that's a trick. And Jesus did it beautifully, guys. Jesus did it with, no, we're not going there, Peter. But then he went right on to, here's your calling. Did you see what Jesus said? If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow after me, he went right on from no to I have invested in you. I, I love you. You are my guy. And you're going to be a leader. And this is how you are a leader. See, there was no and then there was reassuring of relationship and love. And so that's what you got to do. And guys, sometimes you have to be the only adult in the equation. I mean, I hate to say that that way, but it's true. If somebody wants to be childish and stomp their foot or pitch a fit or accuse you or, or, or cry and try to guilt you, say, sometimes what you have to just do is go, doesn't change. This is not how we're going to conduct this here. This is not the way we're going to dance. And I still love you. If you've had a dysfunctional codependent dance, and you try to change it up into something healthy. You reassure. And then the last scripture I got for you. Get this. Watch your life and doctrine closely. And get, get what this says. Watch the way you conduct yourself. That's what the Bible is trying to say. Watch your life. It's not saying be all about somebody else's and fix them. You fix you. Watch your life and doctrine. Are you staying true to what you are, what God is telling you, what Scripture says? And then you persevere in that. Because when you do, I love this, when you live healthy, you save yourself and your hearers. I wish there was time to talk about relationships that started out dysfunctional. And then one person decides, we're going to be healthy in this thing. We're going to be open and honest. And I, I, I can't be in this relationship if it's going to constantly be a threat or a guilt. or I can't do But you know what? When one person gets healthy, it forces health in the, on the whole thing. That's what Timothy's trying to tell us here. Persevere. Paul tells us in Timothy, persevere in doing the right thing. Because if you do, you not only make yourself healthy. You make everybody healthy. The, the thing that's great about relationships, to change the whole relationship, you don't have to change the whole relationship. You change one part and it changes everything. It's like a cog that fits together. It's like a machine that works together. You don't have to fix that other person. You get healthy. And it forces them to, well, I guess I'm going to have to get healthy too. I guess i got to... I guess we're going to have to communicate in a healthy way. All right. Thus much said. Let's stand up, have a word of prayer, and ask God to help us in this. God, I thank you, Lord God, that your word deals with some really tough things. And God, I thank you that when somebody tried to back you into a corner, you with love said, uh-uh, just not going there. And then you still poured into that person. You still loved them. God, help us to do that. Help us not to see people as the enemy. Help us not to see people as bad. 
But God, help us to see people as for one reason or another they're trying to control and help us to love them through it. And God, our desire is for all of us in all of our relationships to be healthy, open, honest. So help us, God. Help us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Troy First Assembly of God. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning if you're in the area. Our address is 432 South Lincoln Drive in Troy, Missouri. Otherwise, you can connect with us on Facebook. The link for our Facebook page can be found below.